Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. And today on the podcast, Jens, we have an artist named Mark Broussard. And uh, this is an artist that was brought to me. I've uh, heard uh, his stuff a little bit before uh, and I'm, uh, vaguely was vaguely familiar with him going into uh, this interview. But, you know, it's, he's one of those artists that when I do the, the research and listen to his stuff, it's like it connects a lot. I really dig it, you know? Mm-hmm. Connecting like how? Yeah. Like... I enjoy the feel of music, the the tone, the uh, just the kind of the overall, uh, you know, the style, and and also the values of him as an artist. Uh, in in our interview, we'll, which we'll get to hear in a little bit, you know, we talk a lot about family and uh, and kind of what goes into his music, and uh, and you know, something we didn't talk about is his whole family like lives on the same street as him. Oh my God! Is that a good or bad thing? You, you know, I mean, I imagine if it was a bad thing, you know, there's there's a way out of that, isn't there? Like you think <laughs> you go to the street next, you know, one street over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so you don't have to see, you know, your uh, your your mom in the house, like you know, across the street or whatever, right? But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's really close with his family. So we we talk yeah. about we talk about that a good amount. And, uh, I think that's excellent. I mean, I really admire that. Um, that kind of thing. And, you know, if you have a family that is that close, it doesn't get much better than that. Right. But what if it's the other way around, you know? Yeah. Do, do you, so your, your dad lives up in Seattle. You're going, you're actually going up to see him this weekend. Is that, yeah. is, is that a okay distance for you? Or do you feel like he's a, a little too far away? <laughs> That's a funny question because he, my dad came to this country, I think, I don't know if he'll ever admit this, but I think he came to this country in the 60s to get away from his family in Europe. So he was like, you know what? Let me pick a spot on the globe that's really far away from where I live. I'm going to move there just to get away from America. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't have that kind of relationship with my dad. I mean, Seattle is, is close enough. You know, it's just a, it's not even a two-hour plane ride. But um, I can't spend more than about four or five days with him without going crazy. That's the kind of relationship yeah. it is. You know, it's well, great as long as you know what the limit is. Yeah, I mean, I can't with my mom either and she lives 10 minutes from me right so yeah like, right 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 can you imagine living on the same street as her oh no i would not not i would not live in the same house i would not live on the same street i cannot do any of that anymore uh, it sounds like a dr seuss book i know I was, I was thinking about that as i was saying it i i could not would not live with my mom i, I will not shall not uh i got Eat nothing green, green eggs and ham with yes. my mom yes exactly I mean, the, the ham might be green, you know, because at, at her house, but, uh, you know, what's green her lawn and she needs you to go over there and mow it or weed whack it. Oh, uh, she has, it she has been bugging me, bugging me to do that. You know, she's like, when the rain stops, can you come over and, and mow the lawn again? I'm like, right, right. yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. Eventually I'll get over there again. Yeah. And, and do it. But, but well, yeah. that's awesome for our artist. I mean, yeah. Hey, if you've got that kind of close family, more power to you. Exactly. So, uh, so I, before we get into Mark Broussard, I want to share a, a story. Uh, so, my birthday is coming up at the end of the month, the ends, and uh, you know, and my girlfriend Tracy uh, wanted to do something special. Our time is limited together in terms of time we get without either my kids or without other things going on. I have uh, activities this weekend with uh, some friends that uh, will take me away. And then next weekend is Bottle Rock, and she's going all, all weekend for that. I'm going to go to one day of it and see some flogging molly. Yeah, I'm yes. going to be jealous. Yeah, yeah. It'll be good. Tickets are almost free, actually. They've come down so low in price. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Like this. I know it, man. I'm one of those people that had to sell their ticket last minute, and it, I didn't even get half price for what I paid. Th- this is a lot less than half price. Tracy's like, three-day really? passes are like 150 bucks, dude. Like, oh, shit. For three days. Yeah, and and my two, my one day pass was over two was like two hundred and change. So yeah. It's, oh my god, dude! It is not gonna. I'm not buying when they go on sale anymore. I'll tell you that. So yeah, yeah. That's crazy, dude. That's amazing. It is. Uh, but, and Floggy Molly is playing when? They're playing Friday. You coming? 
Which Friday? Today? The next <laughs> Friday. They're playing next Friday. You should definitely come. Uh, I Do should it. check out who's playing on Sunday. <laughs> oh, okay. Jeff Goldblum is playing on Sunday, I think. So. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's about it. No one he's really funny. Playing. Yeah. He's funny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he's playing comedy music, so... Yeah, uh, but so so our time is limited, and so for for my birthday, Tracy wanted to surprise me with something. She didn't tell me what it was, except that uh, we. Oh, did, is this your kidnapping thing? This was she my told kidnapping. Me she was going to kidnap you at some ungodly hour. I know she did, uh, and that ungodly godly hour was three forty-five a.m. We needed to get up uh, this past Sunday, and uh, and had to be out of the house on the road by four fifteen. And okay. What was going through your mind when she told you this? You know, I'm trying like, to think of what it was going to be. I, you know, I really didn't know. I mean, I thought, okay, maybe Alcatraz, like, because because uh-huh. th- that shit sells out early and quick and everything. But it, w- it was kind of last minute that she made the the plans that she did. But she locked it in and she's like, okay, you can't back out once you know we do this. You sure you're you're free and good? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, why not? And uh, and so uh, so we did it and. Uh, and Tracy is not a morning person. She is not a morning person. So you know this is like a huge sacrifice. So, yeah, exactly. And for her, oh, on you a couldn't weekend, get me out of bed at that time if, uh, unless the house was on fire or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like I won't even wake up. And typically, her is as well, right? On a weekend day, too, giving up a weekend day to get up at yeah. before, that that's. That is commitment, and uh, That's huge. I think she kind of digs me. So, <laughs> uh, obviously, <laughs> so to get uh, that kind of gift, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't even matter what the you know, actual gift is. No. You know, the effort of, of getting you out of bed and ready at that time for a person that's yeah, because you know, because <laughs> we know I. I can awake. I can get out of bed at three forty five in the morning. I don't want to. That's not a Steve hour that I enjoy getting up. But but I'm a morning person and I can wake easy, right? So uh, so I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So uh, I had to drive, of course, because she's you know she's like, oh, I'm not driving. I'm like, well, maybe you tell me where to where we're going, right? And <laughs> so she's like, just go, yeah, Left, right, straight, <laughs> exactly, pretty, pretty much, right? And and, uh, and so. Uh, so we get on the road, we go and we end up in, uh, San Francisco. Uh, we even, you know, park in the parking garage, uh, near Fisherman's Wharf and, you know, and still I didn't, you know, again, I, I'm one of those guys that I'm like, I don't like try and, uh, think about what the end of the movie is going to be before, yeah, before it happens, especially if it's one I'm really invested into and I, yeah. I'm really interested in. I'm like, I don't try and think that far ahead. I try and be in the story. And so I was mm-hmm. really focused on being in the moment and, uh, and you know, letting it be a surprise more than kind of guessing it because she had said it wasn't Alcatraz. But it, it did end up being about a half a mile from Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, Let me guess, in the bay. Yes, yes, it was in the bay. Uh, and so, so I, I'm getting from, from your storytelling, I'm assuming this is not another story about Lodi. I mean, we've, we've talked about how awesome Lodi is in the last podcast and the podcast before that. It's not a story about Lodi. You know, I mean, she heard about how awesome Lodi was, and she's like, we need to go back. You need to go back. You just, <laughs> uh, I bought you a house in Lodi, and you're moving to Lodi. I'm like, but, but, the, but the kids, the, oh, nope, nope, you're, you're, you're moving to Lodi. Uh, which, you guys can move to Lodi together and live on the same street. Right, you could. That, that, there's thinking, <laughs> right? So, uh, no, she took me on a, on a fishing boat, uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, that's cool. Yeah, we didn't need to bring any of our own equipment or anything. Didn't need to use our own bait. They provided anchovies and the fishing rods and gave you a couple of tips and everything. And uh, and it was cool. So wait, is this one of these like um, things you find online or like a Groupon yeah. thing or? Yeah, I think she found it online. I don't know where she got it or how much she paid or anything. But it was okay. it was a chart like a charter boat with a you know a dozen other people or so and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, on the boat. And, uh, and you get your spot and you, you don't even, you're not even like casting. You just, you know, you're, you're releasing the, uh, the line into the water, uh, after you, you bait up your, your line and everything. And, and one of the guys that was working there was like, I want to see this guy, you know, uh, catch one because, 
because I was doing such a bad job originally or something, right? Like he was like laughing at, at me. Because he had to get up at three, whatever. In the I don't, morning. I don't know, <laughs> but. Uh, but, I, you know, I made a couple of small mistakes or whatever. And, and one time I even went over to his rod, which was right next to mine, and, like, was using his instead of mine. He's like, that's my rod, you know, whatever. And, uh, like, then you weren't doing that on purpose. It's like, that's how no, no, that's tired Steve. you were. You were just grabbing the wrong rod. Normal Steve, you know, silliness. So, um, <laughs> and then shortly after he said that, I actually did catch a striper bass, uh, and uh, which, is, which is cool. So... I was, That's cool. So what what is that exactly? So it's a bass. Uh, it's a striped bass. Um, and is that edible? It is edible, and uh, and so it's so they you know they help you bring it in. They they net it while you reel it in, uh, and yeah. and then they put it in a. Uh, uh, tank for you know for the rest of the trip until you you know they they label it they give you a number and uh and at the end you get your your fish and um and they give you the option to uh fillet they'll fillet it for you for a couple bucks as well which is like mm-hmm. okay fine do that for me save me the work for three bucks sure you know yeah um so so that was cool I caught a striper bass and uh they they uh you know there were some you know other people who did better. Than, uh, than I did. And, um, you know, and Tracy unfortunately didn't catch anything except her thumbnail, uh, which, <laughs> which was bleeding a little bit because she, she Uh-oh. hooked it a little bit, but, uh, um, but, but it was a really fun trip and it was great to be out on the bay and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and what, what route did they take you on? I mean, they just went out, they just went in front of, uh, Alcatraz again, like a half of a, you could see Alcatraz almost the whole time from my vantage point that we were there. Okay. So it wasn't was even it mostly route. on the San Francisco side. They didn't take you over to like Sausalito no, or they, Angel Islander. They didn't go that far or anything like that. No. Yeah. So. That's cool. And how, for how long was it? Um, it was like a six hour trip, except there weren't, their numbers weren't as great as they were the day before. So they extended it like an extra 20 minutes to try and get people on some extra fish. But really for the last two hours, there were only like two fish that were caught on the whole boat. So a lot of it, mm-hmm. most of it was done earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. In the day. Yeah. So, um, so that was, that was a little unfortunate, but, um, uh, but, uh, uh, but I caught a fish. I was happy. I had a good time mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, yeah, it was a really good surprise from, uh, from my girlfriend. Tracy. That, that's fun, dude. That is so fun. Yeah. 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 I like that. I've, I've done something like that. It was, um, it was also one of those online things. It was uh, it was like a bay cruise. I think it was in two hours or something. You had to cruise around with a bunch of other people and uh, watch the sunset and go to the bridge. And so it was just a cruise. It's a really you cool didn't, perspective. You didn't, you didn't go out to catch any fish or anything like that. No. <laughs> yeah. Tracy thought about doing a whale watching trip, you know, uh, like just going out and whale watching, but she's like, ah, you know, they're probably roughly the same price, and for that price, you might as well try and catch some fish and uh if you see a yeah. whale great you know but uh <laughs> yeah but we, we saw as well yeah might as whale might as whale oh i see what you did there see what did. <laughs> yeah um yeah so uh so that was my trip you've had a good week though as well uh yeah it's just been work 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 um uh you know i wish i had some cool story to, to share this week but i really done i'm just looking forward to uh i haven't been out of the house in the while in a while since that i haven't really been out of the bay area on any like local trips except to lodi <laughs> right uh, so it'll be nice to jump on a plane and go up to seattle and 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 uh you know get away from it yeah yeah so you had teased that uh you might you actually booked this trip around a certain artist that was on concert pipeline uh and i didn't know that actually tracy remembered that uh specifically but i didn't know that this trip was actually booked around that show and so why why don't you tell the audience uh, a little bit about how this trip got booked and if you're and what your plans are in that regard sure um so you and i had done a it was like a Potapalooza. A mean, trifecta, we, yes. A trifecta. We interviewed three artists in one evening. Um, and this was all outside of the Fox Theater in Oakland, right? Yep. 
Well, one not all members. outside. Some of it, one of them was inside, I think. So, but, uh, oh, okay. yeah. whatever. <laughs> or maybe two of them, actually. And, uh, and uh, one of those artists was yeah. Barnes Courtney. Yes. And um, I had, I was familiar a little bit with his music just because, um, uh, I'm forgetting what the TV show was called, but he, um, he does, uh, you know, he does this great tune that just happened to be, uh, desired by some television show, uh, a show that I liked a lot. And, um, so that song was familiar. And I was like, Oh, that's Barnes Courtney. No shit. Yeah. I'll go ahead and see him. And I was so blown away by his, um, you know, by him. The yeah. interview was fun. He's a great guy. You know, it was very philosophical. Um, he's a pretty deep, deep person. And then, um, the, the concert was fantastic, you know? And I said, I wonder if I can see him again on this tour. So I looked up his tour dates and it just happened to coincide with a weekend that my, um, that I wanted to go see my parents cause they were, uh, they were out traveling on this cruise thing. So they were going to be gone for a while and they just happened to be back, you know, like a couple days before Barnes was going to show up in Seattle. So I thought, you know what, maybe I'll go see him again. <laughs> so we'll have to see. Oh, you, so you still haven't decided whether you're going to go or not, even though the show is two days away. Yes, exactly. I, honestly, I forgot about it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Until a couple days ago, then I realized, oh shit! I wonder if tickets are even still available. I would go, and my dad would probably go too. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, he would probably go with me. You think your dad would like some Barnes Courtney? Maybe. I mean, he went to. Um, what was the festival called that we all went together? Uh, it was a shoreline, cool. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was that Neil's, Neil Young's thing? Oh yeah, yeah. Bridge School. Bridge School. We went to Bridge School, and there's some. There were some bands there that I really didn't think my dad would like at all, like Metallica. Uh huh. He liked Metallica. Oh yeah, yeah. He had a good <laughs> I mean, time. Acoustic, right? But but yeah, he, he had a good time. He's, we've seen Dylan together. Um, but he's he's not somebody that normally goes out and does those kinds of things. You yeah. know, he's more of a stay at home. Okay. I'll watch a TV show or read the newspaper or some type of guy. Um, yeah. So I was just about to look up here who he is touring with. Um, it was an artist El- that I wasn't familiar with, but wasn't it El King or something? Yeah. 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 yeah and, and he's playing 10 songs on the tour. Uh, it looks like, so not a, not a bad set. Yeah, not a bad set. I was going to listen to a little bit more to her music, see if I liked it, but mostly just go for him. So I, I don't know. I'll figure out if I can get tickets or not. You'll have to let us know. It's on the same damn <laughs> night that the final the finale of Game of Thrones. Is. Oh, yeah, that's a problem. Are, well, does your dad have HBO or are you just going to sign it on your phone or something? I can just, yeah, I'm bringing the iPad. I can just, uh-huh. as long as I have an internet connection, I can watch it. Uh-huh. Maybe I'll go to the concert. Uh, and watch, watch just watch it's Game of Thrones. Shitty season anyway, so uh, who cares? Well, you could uh, probably leave after Barnes is set, and then make it in home in time for for Game of Thrones. And yeah, right, right. As long as it's dark and I don't have any, you know, light distracting me, I could watch it in the car. As soon as I got to the parking. Lot. I was going to say, Jens, Jens, you're going to have to turn off the up the brightness on that. So you say you way up. Uh-huh. Bring flashlights. Yeah, yeah. You've. Uh, are you ready for Game of Thrones to be over, or are you are you pretty sad? I am so ready for that author to release uh-huh. the final two books. Yeah. And I hope he does before he's a hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause it takes him forever to release a book. And, um, you know, me and I'm sure many, many, many other people are just dying to get their hands on the next one. So at this point, does the book follow the, the show since the show's ahead of the book? Or do you think the book will just be independent and go in its own direction? Um, I think once we got to season, maybe late season four or season five or something, the show took on a life of its own because the books, um, there, there were, he hadn't finished, you know, the last two books. So, uh, uh I don't know what to tell you, Steve. <laughs> I, just, I hope the show doesn't influence the author in any sort of negative way. Yeah, you know, I hope the author doesn't rush to finish the books like the producers did on the show. Right. Yeah, I hope it's just really good quality. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, good stuff. 
Well, let's move on to Mark Broussard here uh, and uh, and bring him in. Before we do, um, we don't have any uh, concert footage. This was a phone interview I did with with Mark, um, and uh, but. So I want to give you a taste of uh, his big sing. Well, you know what? I was going to play his single uh, from 2004, but you know what? Let's play uh, a song from uh, uh, from his. Let's play part of a song from his uh, new uh, album that he actually did with his dad. Uh, and this uh, this is the first album on the first song in his album called Home, the Dockside Sessions. This song is called uh, French Cafe. Let's listen to just a little bit of that. How about, how about that? Play it. Okay. So this new album is, uh, I mean, really raw. and um, That's the feeling I get from it. Yeah. And like I said, he did it with his dad, which is uh, a cool little bonding you know, experience because his dad is a, uh, was a professional music, musician as well. And so he's brought his dad into a lot of uh, his music. His big song, Home, he actually wrote with his dad, and he always used to close with, with that song as well. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, again, big family man. Uh, uh, Mark is so. What do you think about us getting into the interview, Jens? I think we should do it. All right. Well, let's bring Mark in. Here is uh, my interview with Mark Broussard on Concert Pipeline. Mark, how's it going? What's going on, brother? I'm um, good, man. How are you? Doing really good. Doing really good. Um, so um, I want to talk to you uh, about you know I mean all the music obviously you've created your tour that's uh, that you have uh, coming up um, and uh, and really kind of have a, a theme of uh, family because I I get the sense from you that family's kind of interwined with uh, pretty much everything you do musically is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think you know family is such a strong part of the culture here in South Louisiana that it was kind of impossible for me to ever uh, do anything without that being a dominant theme. And, uh, and so tell me, tell me about when you go in uh, and approach a, a new album or a project, um, how important is, uh, is family to the, the backbone of, uh, of that project or that album? Well, I think more than anything, um, my family is extremely important to me as a guy, as a dude. And I think that the large majority of my fans are also on a similar trajectory. Um, you know, I came into the business and around 2002, went on tour with Maroon 5, and immediately had a fan base of folks that were right around my age. So, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of these folks over the years, and I've, I've come to recognize that, that we're kind of all on a similar journey. And so I just try to be mindful of that, you know, and try to be mindful that there is an audience that is uh, is looking to be served in some way by, by what I'm trying to do. They're looking for, you know, a friend, essentially, that they can turn to uh, in t- good times and in bad. And so I just try to be as, as cognizant of 
uh, of my fans as possible when I start to write for a new project. And, uh, and so, um, so tell me about um, about your your dad and the impact that he has on on your uh, your music. I mean, you you wrote home with your dad, and you used to end every show with that song. So tell me kind of how that came about and what that song means to you. Well, the song uh, started out organically enough. My dad and I were uh, we had a couple of shows opening for Martin Sexton. Uh, I had gotten called, and I asked him to come out. It was. Uh, I wasn't quite as uh, I, I wasn't quite yet able to accompany myself uh, handily at that time, so I asked him to come and help me help support. And we did Atlanta and Birmingham, and on the way home from after the show in Birmingham uh, the next day, uh, my dad is you know driving down the road, and he just started. He said, "Hey man, you remember that the guitar thing I had a while back?" And he kind of hummed a bar of it and I said yeah of course I remember that and he said what you think about this and he hummed the first line rolling down the road going nowhere guitar packed in the trunk and and he kind of hummed it like he was kidding around and uh, and I remember looking out the window because I didn't want him to know how cool I thought he was because I thought the line that he just, had just hummed was really really cool but I didn't really want him to know it and uh, and I saw my marker 112 fly by the window and I just blurted, you know, somewhere around my mark of 112, I've started humming the funk. And that was kind of the end of it. It was just a little bit of a joke between the two of us um, until I began writing for my next record, and I brought that little chunk in uh, to a co-writing session with a couple of guys in Nashville, Drew Ramsey and Shannon Sanders, and uh, and they immediately loved it. They, they jumped all over it. And, uh, and so we finished the song by the next record, Marshall Altman, the guy that produced that record ended up, uh, writing a big chunk of the lyrics as well. So it's definitely a team effort, but, uh, started out innocently enough, just me and my, my pops riding down the road. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. And as we kind of talk about family as well, I mean, one other song I want to call out is, uh, Honesty. You wrote that for your grandmother and kind of to help you kind of process her her passing and kind of felt her presence while you were writing that tell me a little bit about that and and uh, and kind of how that song came about for you well you were thinking about the the title uh the title of the song that i wrote for my grandmother is actually a song called a life worth living oh i'm sorry and uh no problem and it's happened to me about four times where i learned of the passing of somebody um, and immediately was inspired to write a song. It happened my senior year of high school for the first time. A buddy of mine who I just I, I hadn't seen in a long time, and I ran into him one weekend. Uh, he happened to pass away a couple of days later after I had seen him for the first time in a long time, and and I was just compelled. And then. Uh, the second time was for a song called Man Ain't Supposed to Cry. Um, after listening to a radio tribute, uh, it was a comedian by the name of uh, uh, Patrice O'Neill right, right. who had passed away. And, uh, and, and he was a, a popular guest on a radio show on Sirius XM called The Opie and Anthony Show. And, uh, and they had a big tribute over the course of this weekend. And I had to drive to Atlanta which is about nine hours both ways. And, uh, and so I got to listen to the entire tribute, essentially, on the way up and back. And I just got inspired by the way that, that his friends were talking about him. But then it happened when my grandmother passed. I remember getting a text message and uh, you know, telling me that my, my grandmother had passed. And, and immediately I just sat up with the, with the first line in my head, grabbed my computer, went out to my pool house, and uh, and just spent the next hour or so kind of going through this cycle of of kind of quieting my mind, uh, waiting for a lyric to kind of come in, typing that lyric down, and then looking at it and then just breaking down in tears and crying hard and calming my mind again and waiting for another lyric to come in and, and then typing it out and reading it and breaking it down. Uh, it was a very, very emotional process, but 
But again, I do feel very strongly that my grandmother's presence was, was right there with me. Uh, I could hear her voice and I, I could almost even feel her hugging my shoulders as I was sobbing and telling me like, look, I know this is difficult for you, but I, I, I can't stay long and I'm not going to be able to finish this with you if we don't get it done soon, you know? It was a very surreal experience. Yeah, and so you'd say it's pretty therapeutic to kind of be in that environment for you where you can just kind of separate yourself and kind of really connect with those people who really mean a lot to you and, you know, kind of pay the, pay your respects through your music, right? Absolutely, you know, and I, I don't even know... Um, I, I don't think that necessarily... Um, you know, th that process is as therapeutic as, it, as as the final product has been for some of those uh, closest to those that have passed. You know, I became sort of a surrogate son uh, after my buddy died my senior year of high school. I became very, very close with his family. And, and to this day, the song that I wrote for their son brings a lot of comfort to that family. Uh, the song about my grandmother brings tremendous comfort to my grandfather uh, and to my cousins, uh, I wrote a song called Give Him Hell about another buddy that passed away uh, about six years ago. And uh, I believe his widow still listens to the song that I wrote for him every day. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not a big fan of woo-woo. You know, I don't, I don't like to think about um, unreasonable things, but I, I do feel sort of a, like a conduit in those instances um, and in some way to some metaphysical connection that's trying to uh, that's trying to maybe just kind of you know make everything all right as best as you can and are, are those songs that you're able to play live or is there too much emotion for you to kind of pull those out you know in, you know, in front of a crowd no, I've been able to play those songs live. There have been moments where I've been, I've struggled to get through them all the way, but those are far and few between. I try to, I, I can't really explain um, why that is, but I would say that I think it's just because I, I tend to lose myself to the moment when I'm on stage. I, I tend not to really, uh, just think too deeply about what's going on and just kind of try to be as present as possible. Um, because, I mean, for one, I know like even when I'm trying to think about the words of the second verse while I'm in the first chorus, I'll struggle greatly. I won't, I won't even be able to, to, to think of the lyrics that are coming up in, in the next few seconds and then all of a sudden the second verse gets there and I open my mouth and the right words come out. Not all the time, but most of the time. Yeah. And uh, so I, I try not to get too into my head when I'm on stage for that very reason, just so that I don't get kind of you know lost to, to what's actually really going on. Totally, totally. Um, so, so let's talk about your newest uh, album, Home uh, Dockside Sessions, that you, you made with your dad. Um, so tell me how that came about uh, and, um, and how you approached this, this album. I mean, it feels really kind of raw, and there's, uh, I think, a good amount of emotion in it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's extremely raw. You know, the truth of the matter is that this project was born out of... Uh, out of uh, clamor from my fans uh, for the audio that that is uh, you know it's been on a bunch of the videos that we've put out over the last year or two, and so I've I've been in the studio at Dockside uh, quite a bit over the last two years, just shooting a bunch of video content um, with and without my father, and. The fans wanted to hear that stuff. They wanted to get their hands on it and be able to listen to it off of YouTube. And so, uh, and so we just, you know, went and cleaned up some of these arrangements a little bit and, and got a nice mix on things. But for the, for the most part, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, one take from top to bottom. And so it's definitely a very, very live feel. And, uh, and then again, with my dad as a, as a partner on the project, it's such a special, uh, thing for me and hopefully for the fans as well. Totally. And, and do you, 
Uh, do you ever feel a pressure to uh, to keep putting out albums? I've I've heard you say in the past that uh, that you um, that the fans keep wanting more, right? The fans keep wanting more. So do you feel like that's a pressure, or do it does it come naturally, and you feel it's the right time when you're creating a, a new album? Oh, I love the pressure. I, I you know personally, I think that uh, it would be ideal for me to be able to put music out sort of constantly. I, I personally, uh, I enjoy delivering new music as often as possible. And I don't like waiting at all in between records. I wish that I could put out music, like I said, constantly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm always, I'm always looking for another opportunity to get back into the studio. It's my favorite part of this entire process, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, and Mark, I want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how you kind of give back because I see kind of giving as a you know as just as important to you as, as making music. You have the SOS Foundation, which is kind of categorized into different projects. But why don't you tell me a little bit about um, about the foundation and uh, and SOS three, which is uh, coming up uh, as well? Yes. Yeah, so three uh, excuse me five years ago we decided. That, uh, that we were going to go independent from the, the label system that I had been trying to play in for a very, very long time. And uh, because I was on major labels for so long, I actually never made a dime from my records. Um, you know, the, the way that record deals are structured it make, it, make it almost impossible to pay off a, a record uh, that doesn't sell millions upon millions of records and I never even came close to selling millions of records. And so, um, because I never saw the revenue from my records, I never relied on it. I built a lifestyle for my wife and my family that never relied on that money. And, and thus when I went independent, uh, I saw this revenue stream that I never had access to before. And that money used to go to keep the lights on in, in office buildings and apartments in New York City and Los Angeles. And I just wanted to try and fix the karma associated with that money. I wanted to try and use that money instead to keep the lights on for people that really, really needed to help keep the lights on. Yeah. And so I've started researching, launching, you know, what, what, what do you do when you need to launch a nonprofit? And uh, all the literature said expect to be told no over and over and over again. And then the next step was to build a board of directors. So I made a phone call to a guy, um, a very successful businessman here in, in my hometown. Uh, I knew he was a fan, and I was an acquaintance of his son. So I just decided to reach out and, and ask him if he would be on my board. And you know, five minute elevator pitch later, he said, yes. So all the literature that ex had told me to ex expect to be told no was immediately proven wrong, at least for me. And then I uh, called up a friend who kind of got me started in the business and she said yes. And then I cold called a city council member who I'd never met before and he said yes. And I immediately realized that I was moving into a space that, would, that wasn't always very easy for people to navigate, but was clearly going to be um, easier for me for whatever reason. And so I think it's become, because of that, it, it, philanthropy has become a, a major facet of, of what I do and what I want to do moving forward just because of how difficult that space is to, to, you know, to enter into as a, as a graduate, for example, if you just graduated college and social work and you want to go into the nonprofit world, you are going to be told no a bunch by a bunch of people. And, uh, and I just didn't, haven't found that to be the case for me. I've spent my career trying to communicate very honestly with a, with a sizable fan base. And so when I tell these folks, that I found an organization that's doing incredible work, they tend to believe me. And because of it, uh, we've been able to raise, uh, you know, a not unsubstantial sum of money for homeless women and children 
Uh, SOS 3 comes out in the next couple of months, and that will benefit the Children's Hospital under construction now in Baton Rouge. And I, that's the goal, is just to use these records to raise funds for a world full of charities, to try and seed charity dollars with every one of my, with every one of these SOS releases, to seed the world of, of the nonprofit sector with, with, with crucial dollars that allow them to continue their missions. Yeah, it's really, really great to give back like that. So, uh, it's really awesome. Um, so, as we uh, wind out here, I want to uh, talk to you about um, your upcoming tour. Uh, you, you have you're going to be seeing a, a lot of the world, uh, but uh, um, I'm based in the Bay Area, and I know you're you're going to be coming to the, the Fillmore. Have you played the Fillmore before? I have. I imagined you had. So, <laughs> uh, tell me about your experience at the Fillmore because it's my play favorite place to see a show. There's so much energy and uh, and history in that venue. Uh, t tell me about that and what you got coming up on this tour. I've played there at least twice, maybe three, three or four times, and it's always such an incredible time. I can't remember a bad time that we've had at the Fillmore. We always end up having more friends show up at that show than uh, than anywhere else in town. Um, you know, our friends from from Bonnie Raitt's band, Ricky Fatar, he showed up one year when we were playing there, and. Uh, and was just talking about Sly Stone and Jerry Garcia and everybody that had played there. And, um, you know, there, there aren't that many iconic buildings uh, left, especially at my level, at the, at the, you know, small theater level. There's really not very many of these rooms, these legacy kind of rooms left. And so we always cherish those, those moments when we get to step on those stages. Yeah, it's really, really special. And so, so what do you have planned for the upcoming tour? What's, uh, what are you going to pull out on this, this tour? Well, we're, we're hoping to pick up some horns everywhere we go. I'm sure it won't be hard for us to find some great players in San Francisco. And uh, Samantha Fish and I will be sharing the stage. Samantha's incredible in her own right. She's an incredible guitar player and singer. And her band is killing. We did a show together uh, a couple of weekends ago in New Orleans. And we've never toured together. She and I have done some shows here and there together, but we've never been on tour together. So I'm really looking forward to, to she and I getting some FaceTime and hopefully getting some writing time as well. Uh, but you can definitely count on us sharing the stage together and, and jamming with one another. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Mark, thank you for, for taking the time uh, and uh, and really looking forward to uh, the tour as well. The new album is uh, is great. Uh, so, uh, thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And uh, everybody should check out the SOS Foundation and, uh, and give where they can. So, um, yeah, Mark, uh, have an awesome rest of your day, and uh, we'll be seeing you when you get out here on the West Coast, okay? Absolutely, brother. Take care. That was the interview with Mark Broussard here on Concert Pipeline. And Jens, we got to get into the, to the the next segment real quick because uh, I, I'm per, I've been, I just prepared for it, and I, I I don't know. This is just really off the press right now, and I, I need to uh, uh, I need to I need to read the story as as we get to it. What segment are we getting into, Jens? <laughs> we are getting into some pretty serious music news. Yes, yes, this is music news. And so... Um, What's the story, man? It looks like it's really affecting you. Okay, so uh, I had a couple of stories lined up uh, for, for music news. One, I decided to table to next week's episode uh, because it's really attached to, uh, to that episode. This one is really attached to you know, me personally and, um, and an artist and, that we've had on the show a couple of times. Um, and... Uh, and this, this has to do with Bernie from Bernie and the Believers. Uh, uh -huh. you remember, do you remember the show where he had, uh, uh, Essence, um, and, uh, I interviewed her and this is, uh, uh, Bernie Dalton. He, mm. uh, he had ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's d uh, disease. Yeah. Uh, and, um, 
and uh, uh, and so uh, you know, I cover, uh, I interviewed, um, I interviewed uh, Essence, uh, who uh, who kind of made his music and kind of was his voice. I had her on the program twice over the course of a couple months, and um, and she helped you know really fund you know uh, a campaign to to you know to try and bring him home so he could uh, mm-hmm. so he could spend time home uh, with his uh, uh, daughter and uh, and everything and his and his be home with his family because he's stuck in a hospital and mm-hmm. um, you know and I went I even took the kids to. Uh, this this charity show for him that that Essence was at and uh, you know and Essence and I did an interview you know for like an hour that night or something afterwards mm-hmm. you know and I mean and so I, um, this is all to say that uh, Bernie Dalton died um, after battling wow. uh, ALS. No way, man! And the story is apparently ten days old, so I'm I'm just seeing it now. Um, wow, that's serious. Yeah, and so. He uh, this is he created a powerful and memorable Tiny Desk concert. He he died at age forty nine from concert uh, complications of uh, bulbar onset ALS, uh, an aggressive form of Lou Gehrig's disease. And according to his band singer singer, oh my gosh, I can't even talk. Uh, Essence Goldman, he died May second, surrounded by his family. Bernie's uh, story moves. Uh, I mean, this article says Bernie's story moves me to tears uh, more than any other in his, their 30 years at NPR. It's a story with a beautiful, uplifting message and one that culminated in a tiny desk concert that left everyone who witnessed it filled with both utter joy and sheer sadness. The, the video that she made for that Jens, for that tiny mm-hmm. desk concert, was so personal, such a connection, and you know, and uh, I mean, she really spoke you know his she sang his music um yeah and yeah that's insane yeah i can't even imagine yeah and so i'm just reading now that uh that he has died there's, there's going to be a feature film chronicling his story which essence calls a final gift from bernie to his family and supporters the whole thing is absolutely life-altering um and um she, uh, you know, and she's still trying to process it, and she imagines she will for a long time, and she misses her friend. Um, she misses his smile. I miss the twinkle in his eyes. I miss his honesty. I'll never forget him and the great life lessons he taught me. I will forever be a believer. I'm thankful Bernie is not in pain anymore. May his spirit soar. Um, and he's survived by his daughter, Nicole Dalton, uh, Father Bernie Dalton Sr., and his uh, sisters, uh, Lena Dalton Sutcliffe and Lisa Wilson. Wow. So, whew, I don't mean to start off so that's, heavy, but... That's intense. I have, I have no words. Yeah, I just, you know, I just saw this, and it's one that just hit me pretty personally, you know. Um, I never met Bernie or anything, but, you know, I was a, uh, a supporter and uh, appreciated his music and really had some great impactful conversations with Essence, you know, mm-hmm. who worked really closely with him. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, want to text her now and just tell her my thoughts totally. are, are with her. So, right, yeah. Uh, so that's my first story. Ends. Um, thoughts are with Bernie and his uh, Bernie and his family. Really, you know. I hope he absolutely passed smoothly. I'm depressed. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Let's see. Uh, let me share my first story. Don't know how I'm going to come back from that one. Uh, let's talk about a tour. Okay, what tour, what tour are we talking We've about? We've talked about Kiss being on a tour uh, in the past. This is their retirement tour that we're going to discuss here. There's a dollar amount on how much they've earned now. Oh, okay. How much? So how um, much? So their retirement. retirement. So they're they're retiring. <laughs> They're putting it's more up the than canes. A couple dollars, right? And I guess yeah. um, I don't know why they went on this tour. Uh, maybe just because they had nothing better to do, you know. Maybe because they, did, you know, do good to their friends, their fans, and stuff. Or maybe they just <laughs> really needed sixty million fucking dollars because that's how much they've got now. Because, wow! Uh, just another, just another sixty mil. Million. Sixty mil in the bank, huh? Yeah, sixty million in the bank. All right, so 
we're talking here about the end of the road farewell tour um and they've just completed their first leg okay so there are more legs and i wonder how much money uh, you know they're going to get for each one of these other legs uh, there, there are more. There are more shows to go, right? So There are more shows to go, right. Okay, so the first North American leg of the planned multi-year series, which opened in Vancouver, Canada, uh, on January 31st, and wrapped up last month in Birmingham, Alabama. So... Okay, we're rounding up here, Steve. Don't get disappointed. We're rounding up to $60 million. If you want the exact number, it's $58.7 oh, oh, that's ch- million. That's chump change. Yeah, that's just tip. Uh, and if you want to have an idea of how many ticket sales that is, that's just over 500 Thousand, so five hundred eighteen thousand three hundred ninety-five tickets. Jesus, dude, right? Like everybody wants to see them for the last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got here uh, sales that um, uh, 43, 43 shows. Okay, so we had forty-three shows. So they're um, they're making over a million dollars a show. I guess. Yeah. I mean. Okay, so all of those dates except for five of them grossed at least one million and then all but seven lending at least 10,000 tickets holy hell yeah i didn't realize they had such a massive fan base you know they're they're constant right i mean they're they have been around forever they Mm -hmm. you know detroit rock city they they are they're huge, right? I mean, they're Kiss. They are. And they are. I feel bad that I've never seen them, and I feel like I should have helped them in that quest. They, need, they needed your help or what? Like they were just shy of a Yen's ticket? or I guess. And I bought a ticket that cost uh, $1.3 million. Then they would have hit sixty. You You know? You could have done it. You could have, you could have taken your wife out for a nice date. and it, Yeah, they probably, they probably hate me right now because I didn't show up. I know. There's still time, right? I mean, yeah, there still is. Because I think they're still coming to Oakland probably a little later in the year. So, Oh, that'd be awesome. I was just assuming that, you know, it's going to be some other continent next time around. But um, I think we looked this. I have no clue, man. Yeah, I, th- I think we looked this up before. So. Um, and, uh, I think Oakland is, uh, is where they're playing, but, um, let me, let me confirm that real quick. There we go. That's of course taking a minute, but, um, they're in Germany right now. You can, you can head over there, but they will be back to the States and, uh, September 16th, they're playing the Oracle arena. So, there's still yeah, time there yet. You, you have not Let's lost go. your chance. So, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna trade in that bottle rock ticket for some kiss. Your not existent bottle rock ticket, or my non-existent bottle rock ticket for some kiss tickets. Yeah, but I should go. I mean, I really should. It's on a Monday. It's a non-work day, so you know. Songs, dude. I know that they got some really good tunes, but you, you go not just for the music, but just for the theatrics, right? I mean, it's a, it's. I mean, it's funny. It's. Yens, it's both, right? Entertaining. It's an experience. Yes. So, uh, so you have uh, "I Was Made for Loving You." You have "Rock and Roll All Night." Come on, I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. Detroit Rock yeah, City. Uh, I mean, they, yeah, they have a bunch of hits, but yes, they are quite the show. Uh, and uh, I've I've seen them once, and so. I'm happy with the ones that I've seen them. Uh, if tickets are affordable, I would go with you to uh, to see them in September. How's that? Oh, really? Okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I'll see if I can find some affordable tickets. Okay. We'll work on that. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Nice. Yeah, did you know that Steve Perry is not interested in a relationship with Journey? <laughs> <laughs> that's gotta be breaking news this is, this is real, I don't think anybody knows that <laughs> this is this is really breaking news 
Um, what he's made the public now. So, uh, I mean, that's what it sounds like. Uh, he, um, Jonathan was asked about the, Jonathan Kane, the keyboardist, was asking about the current status of him and uh, Neil Sean's relationship with Perry during an interview, and he responded, he he already said in so many words that he's not interested in a relationship with me or Neil. Kane says that Perry spoke about it while promoting his uh, late 2018 solo album Traces. Uh, Jonathan said he was saying standoffish things. Interviewers even asked him about my book and he shut it down. That's his loss. Whatever. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't live like that. Uh, your decisions and your relationships are what you make them. Uh, if he chooses not to have one with myself or Neil, that's not my wish, but, uh, my, I'm understanding of his space and I'll leave it at that. To me, journey just sold a million tickets on this last tour. They fucking did, right? Like, Mm. That tour was a freaking sellout. Uh, uh, our most successful one ever with Arnell, uh, their current frontman, and I chose to be grateful for that. We have Arnell and that voice. Uh, and uh, Kane was asked if he believes Perry is afraid of reconnecting because of something that happened, and he responded, can't even go there. Uh, you'd have to ask him. I remember when we decided to move on without him, Steve pretty much said in so many words, lose my number. I don't have Steve's number, and I don't talk to him. Wow. Yeah, if he needs something... So we still have bad blood here. Uh, sounds like it. If he needs something, the publisher reaches, reaches out to us, and he's been very cooperative uh, when it comes to publishing licenses, approving and disapproving the way our music is used, and I'm usually in complete agreement with anything he says. We're still working together in a publishing way, and I'm grateful for that, but again, he has his life, we have our band, uh, and we move on. I can't really control that situation. It's what we uh, uh, make of it, and that's where we're at. Wow. You know, I know nothing about the situation other than I've known for a long time that Steve Perry has no interest in, in being part of Journey anymore, but I've never really cared enough to know why, you know? Yeah. But but uh, from, from my feeling is that, you know, when Journey – um, without Steve Perry, you know, goes on their tours, uh, and they come to the Bay area, you know, they're often calling them out like, Hey Steve, they, they did. You know you're there. Why don't you come, you know, sing a song with us or so. It's like, they're making the effort for him to come back to the band. So I wonder if somehow that is an apology. It's like, Hey, we are sorry that we're all assholes. Why don't you come and, you know, join us again. We're sorry. You know, I have no idea. Yep. I might be totally wrong. But, um, yeah, they, they did when they were, yeah. When they played at uh, and right? center and I saw them last year, right. Yeah. They, yeah. uh, they put the call out for St- Steve Perry. If he was in the crowd yeah. or something, obviously that was a little gimmick, but I mean, mm. it makes you think like, is Steve Perry going to show up? You wonder if he is, it's on his hometown turf. Is this uh-huh. where, you know, this would be the show, right. Where he's going to uh-huh. uh, come up and do a song with them or something. That would be so cool. But yeah. Nope, yeah. not to be. And it doesn't sound like it's going to be anytime soon. Yeah, it sounds like it's probably never going to happen. But you never know. You can, you can, you know, never say never. We've seen, we've seen major bands, you know, that have broken up over whatever ego trip that they were on get back together. You're talking about Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses, yes. I'm talking about Guns N' Roses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or even um, Van Halen. We right. talked about Van Halen recently. Um, Though they've had some struggles with getting back together recently, but. <laughs> yeah. But you have to you have yeah. to you know ask the question: Is it because of the cash grab, you know, or is it because they are just really trying to put the past behind them so they can move on? Could be could be either way, or the price isn't right yet, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's always a price. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably about someone's girlfriend or wife. Yeah, there's some relationship. It's, it's always over a woman, right? Like it's always over a woman. There's yeah. a woman involved. Yeah, uh, not worth it. <laughs> yeah, you got one more story for us, Jens? I wish Steve Perry would come out and do his own thing. Like I would go to Vegas if he had a little gig in Vegas and and listen to him play old Sherry. You know, uh huh. He does his own stuff, right? He's got his own music. Yeah, he's got. He's doing his own thing. I don't know if he. It's I don't know what he's. Um, I don't know what his tour looks like, um, but uh, let me see here. 
Does he's, he have a tour? I thought he never toured no. after Journey. I'm probably totally wrong. No, you, you might be that. right. You might be right. Yeah, I don't see any shows uh, listed. So. Another reason I say that is because I have never seen him on a concert ticket anywhere. Yeah. I mean, he might have done a couple songs somewhere or anything, but I don't think he really uh, tours. Yeah. Yeah. You have another story for us? Yeah, I do. Yes. Oh, good. What you got? Uh, I need to tell you um, about a certain someone who got hives, because this is like some serious news that I need to share. Oh, who got hives? What? Yeah, right? Robert Plant has hives. He has them currently? Like with him? Well, dude, it's like Led Zeppelin wants a reunion, and the idea gave Robert Plant hives, okay? That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. Do tell more. (laughs) I don't know if he actually has hives, but this sounds like some serious shit. So Plant says that the idea of a Led Zeppelin staging... More reunion shows aside from their 2007 one-off tribute to, oh my God, I'm going to massacre this name. Uh-oh. Amit, Amit Ertigun. Ertigun. Woo. You, did, know, you did great. Yes. You did great. Did I good? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he literally has highs. It just sounds... Like the the Ibergeebers, the EBGBs. He has the EBGBs, okay. The EBGBs, yeah, let's just call them that. So Robert says that he agreed to play the special show, uh, the O2 in London, in December in 2007 to honor the late Atlantic Records icon. And it was inspired to do it as a one-off, the way Pink Floyd handled their 2005 Live Aid reunion. Hey, there's another band with some really bad blood. Yeah, right? yeah, that didn't hey, work they were out. Able to get together here back in 2005, at least. Yeah, yeah, they did come get back together once. So, yeah. So, uh, Planet goes on. He um, he made the comments in an excerpt Planet Rock magazine released of the My Guide to Life feature in issue 14 of that publication. He said, "I liked what Floyd did at Live Eight. Quick one-off, and let's leave it at that. And they did it for a good cause. Yeah. And it was the same when Zeppelin did the charity show for Ahmet. Um, and I think he just wants to kind of leave it at that, you know? The, the idea of going uh, – the idea of doing it next summer and summer after that and so on and on – um, is enough to break me out in hives, quote unquote. He's not about it. He's not all about it. He's not about. It. Okay, so he doesn't. He's not contagious. I think he's trying to say he's not contagious. Oh, good. Okay, so we can go. We can get closer. We, we're, we're okay. Yeah, so we can we can give him a hug. Um, but he's definitely not doing any sort of tour with uh, Led Zeppelin again. Yeah. Uh, Unless it's a one-off. Yeah. So, um, Jens, I have one more story. All right. Um, it has to do with Dave Grohl. Yes. yes. Mr. Dave Grohl is in the news again. I mean, this isn't, What's an, he up to? This isn't an exciting story or anything, but... I'm getting excited because you said Dave Grohl. Uh, well, he shared more details about uh, recently undergoing surgery on his arm at a Foo Fighters uh, show in New Orleans uh, earlier in the week. Um, the band, I didn't hear about this. What happened? Did he fall off the stage? So the band was forced to push back a show by a couple months due to Grohl's surgery. Um, and um, so what Dave Grohl said was, uh, I'll tell you, I had to do it. Uh, I wanted to come, but unfortunately through a little mishap that I had on stage once, I fucking tore my bicep off the muscle. Yeah, You ever seen anyone do that? Um, no, but that sounds painful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you got one, don't you? Yeah, brother. I got one too. It sucks a little and I need this, uh, thing to pay my fucking bills. Uh, so I had to go and take care of that and I couldn't wait to come back and, uh, play for you. And I sort of decided that, uh, since we're coming back a little late, uh, we've got to work extra hard. So, um, yeah, he, uh, he pretty much was talking about what, you know, what happened with his, uh, with his bicep and, uh, and just, I mean, really needed to take some time to, uh, take care of himself. So wait a minute, is this a recent 
injury or is this a is this just complications of a previous injury? I think this is in the past couple months. It was it's probably a couple yeah. months old, but this story was uh, dated today. So, oh. um, so I think right. this is uh, probably a, new, a recent update on it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, we're wishing you all the best, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, not the normal. You know, exciting one-off Dave Grohl story of him just hopping on up on stage and playing a festival, or you know, or whatever he does, right? So right, right, right. But but yeah, we're we're really wishing wishing Dave well. So totally. Well, Jens, that's our show for today. Um, so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about what we have coming up in the coming weeks. Um, really unique interview. Uh, next week on the podcast and uh, it's one that um, gosh I mean unique is really the only word for it I had the opportunity to uh, to talk to um, uh, Neil Ratner he goes by the rock doc and uh, he wrote a book called the rock doc which is you know uh, a lot about his life in music and medicine and uh, and ultimately um, becoming Michael Jackson's doctor, not the one that killed him. I'll just put that out there. Um, the other guy. Yeah, but he was Michael Jackson's doctor uh, for uh, an anesthesiologist for um, eight years or so, and and really a friend to Michael Jackson. And so, okay, wait a minute. Why did Michael Jackson need an anesthesiologist for eight years? Uh, well, so it's plastic surgery. Yes, it started with some plastic surgery that he uh, that he needed, and um, and so the Rock Doc um, helped with some of that, and uh, and they became friends ultimately, and you know, and ultimately, I mean, there are a lot of stories here, and uh, and Jens, I read his book, and it uh-huh. it is, I mean, and I told the Rock Doc this, I was like. Uh, uh, at the beginning of our interview, I was like, this, you know, I, as I'm reading this, I'm like, is this real? Can, you know, because this is such an insight into someone that everybody knows, but no one knows, right? He's so, mm-hmm. he's so secluded, so sheltered. And, uh, you know, and, but the rock doc here had an, you know, a, a personal connection with Michael Jackson that no one has. And that's, awesome yeah and so it was really cool to be able to talk to him um you know and that it was sounds good and what you're we're gonna we're gonna listen to the interview next uh next pod or that's what we're gonna do yes we're gonna have him on nice. ne- next pod um then we also uh covered live in the vineyard goes country um live in the vineyard we've covered for the past i don't know four years or so and uh they they have a festival every you know private festival twice a year or so usually and um, and at least half of those festivals have started going country. So they, they're bringing in a bunch of country artists to the Napa Valley. And, um, and so, uh, we got to cover that. Well, for that one, we won't have any interviews most likely, but, um, a lot of music, a lot of country music, if you're a country fan. So, um, uh, mm-hmm. so that, yeah, that's what we got coming up in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. How fun. Okay, good. Looking forward to it. Yes. So, Jens, that's our program for today. So, uh, for <coughs> whoo, uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that's Jens Schippel. Hang in there, Steve. We're going to need you for the next episode. Oh, I'll try to and survive. That's Steve Jones. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you next time. <laughs>